Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Lore of Your podcast. If this is your first visit with us, I'm your host, Chuck Raymond. Each week, I tell a story about some forgotten or lesser-known piece of Kentucky history or mystery. This week, I'm talking mysteries with y'all. Now, a lot has already been said about the mysterious and unusual in Kentucky. Old newspapers, television shows, and podcasts are full of such lore. But you know what? Some of that lore is based on nothing more than sideshow propaganda that has been accepted as gospel truth over time. But is it all nonsense created by con artists? What about those times when things defy easy explanation, though? If you read through copies of newspapers from the 1800s and 1900s, you'll find all sorts of nonsense being peddled as legitimate news. If you read through copies of newspapers from the 1800s and 1900s, you'll find all sorts of nonsense being peddled as legitimate news, like remedies for what ails you, draining your blood, or bloodletting as it was called, with sound medical advice for treating anything considered to be a disease of the blood, laudanum created by mixing opium and alcohol was widely hailed as a cure-all and ingesting liquid mercury was a perfectly acceptable medical treatment. Until it wasn't, then you were told to stop ingesting it and start putting it on your skin instead to treat scrapes, cuts, rashes, etc. It puts the mercury on the skin or else it gets the bloodletting again. Sorry, I couldn't help myself with the Silence of the Lambs reference there. My point is, medical knowledge was limited in those days. Doctors didn't understand how the body worked. It was a mystery to them. But medical treatments continue to evolve as our understanding evolves. Before that evolution took place, though, a lot of misunderstandings related to the human body led to all sorts of wild claims by researchers and charlatans looking to make money from them. For example, folks suffering with physical deformities caused by malnutrition or a genetic defect were often considered to be suffering under punishment from the Almighty for various reasons. If an unfortunate soul was born with physical deformities, they were often shunned by the local community, leading to isolation, making them easy prey for con men to lure into becoming attractions in their sideshow. In the October 24, 1878 edition of the Louisville Courier-Journal, there is an account of a six-foot, seven-inch tall wild man captured in Tennessee. Unlike many of the other tales of captured wild men, this one was covered in scales and needed to be in water to survive. Did he appear in a sideshow? Why, yes. He appeared in Louisville, Kentucky once as part of a traveling sideshow. The truth is that the scaly wild man suffered from a medical condition known today as ichthyosis. There are numerous types of ichthyosis. Some are inherited at birth, and others are acquired during adulthood. There's no cure for it, but a daily skin care routine usually keeps the symptoms mild and manageable. Reports of the Tennessee wild man's capture include mention that he was in the water fishing for a meal, but if you read the medical information about his ailment, the only relief from the painful, itchy condition is to keep the skin moisturized. He frequented the lakes and streams, not because he was some sort of wild aquaman, but because that's the only way he could get relief from his condition. 
His parents were respected in their community, and they told reporters that he developed his condition around the age of five. So how did he end up in a sideshow, you ask? A soldier had seen him in the woods once while he was serving in the Confederate Army and determined that he would try to come back and capture him after the war, which he did, and then made the rounds with him as an attraction in his sideshow. Now hold on there. There really are wild men and other unknown critters roaming the woods, you might be thinking. I can't argue with you there. The world is full of high strangeness. What I am getting at is that a lot of the lore that we've been handed down is based on misunderstandings or outright fraud by the likes of grifters such as P.T. Barnum and those like him. They saw a way to exploit their fellow humans' ignorance and curiosity in order to make a profit. Unfortunately, for serious researchers though, these sensationalized stories are used as ammunition in attacks against their credibility. Our knowledge of the unexplained is not allowed to evolve with the same type of freedom and speed as other topics are. The end result is that the average person looks no further than a debunking of these overly sensationalized accounts to toss all of it into the fairy tale dustbin and never give it another thought. And, for folks who experience something strange and unusual, they are less likely to come forward and share their information publicly or with researchers for fear of being ridiculed. But is it all a scam? Let's hop in the old time machine and go back a ways and find out a little bit about the Bluegrass State's earlier history. Before the Native Americans inhabited the land we call Kentucky today, there were other civilizations. They are commonly called the Mound Builders. These mounds were fairly abundant here, and accounts tell of explorers and settlers unintentionally discovering these burial mounds while working the land, finding rooms containing remains and artifacts. The Serpent Mound in Ohio is one example of these ancient mounds. You can find out more about its history on the interwebs if you're interested. Some of these mounds contained remains said to be of a people who were very tall, ranging anywhere from 7 to 12 feet. If you like reading through copies of old diaries kept in the historical archives, you'll find accounts told to explorers and settlers by Native Americans of races of white giants that lived here before they came to the land. Some of the giants were cannibalistic and that the Native Americans ultimately went to war with them and destroyed them. Apparently this was necessary for their self-defense. If they did not kill them, the giants would have eventually killed and eaten all of them. But not all of the mound builders were like that. Accounts say that they were highly intelligent and lived in harmony with the Native Americans. Descriptions vary. Some of the giant mound builders had red hair, wore loincloths, and bred with Native Americans, resulting in hybrid youngins, and generally all got along fine. But, despite their apparent harmony, after the war between the two groups, those that remained disappeared. Where did they go? Did they all die off eventually? Are they still out there somewhere? The simple answer is that we don't know. We do have early accounts that suggest they could have been here, living in the wilderness in the late 1770s. One by none other than the famous explorer and frontiersman Daniel Boone. He claimed to have encountered a strange, ten-foot-tall, hairy creature that he shot and killed. 
And this count wasn't hatched by Boone for fame or fortune, or to scare away the curious. It was simply an account of an encounter with a strange critter that he hadn't seen before. A man of Boone's experience isn't likely to mistake a bear or other common critter for a ten-foot-tall, red-haired monster. These giant races weren't the only ones that Native Americans spoke of. There were the Moon-Eyed People, or the Little People as they were also called. They were described as a group of short-bearded, white-skinned people. Some of the Little People were said to have accompanied the Cherokee people on the Trail of Tears to Oklahoma. These little rascals were said to be mischievous, and that it was important to never eat anything that they offered, and to respect them always. They could be quite vindictive and dangerous otherwise. Who or what were these little people? I have no idea. But there are curious researchers looking for answers. And some of their findings when it comes to the strange and unusual really boggles my mind. Take the missing 411 cases published by David Polites of the Can-Am Missing Project, for example. These cases originally centered around missing people in and around America's national parks, but more recently, cases have been found across the country that fit the same profile. Some, but not all, missing 411 cases end in death. Some folks are still missing, and others were eventually found alive. Are there any missing 411 cases in Kentucky? You bet. One case from 2019 that took place in McGoffin County, Kentucky, is a real head-scratcher. It seems a 22-month-old boy named Kenneth Howard went missing from his home one Sunday night. His father said that he last saw his son at 7.30 p.m. He had went out to sit on the front porch a minute, was out there for about 10 minutes, and when he went back in, the boy was gone. It's assumed that he slipped out the back door on his own. He would be missing for 67 hours total, presumably alone, before he was eventually found on the ridge of a steep embankment in an area with rough terrain and dense foliage near an old strip mining camp. This area is known to have coyotes and other predators, and a bear had recently been spotted there. Rescuers happened to be searching the area when they heard the boy crying and followed the sounds to his location. They were able to get rescuers to his location, not an easy task at all, and fly him by helicopter to a nearby hospital for medical attention. After checking him over, the doc said he was dehydrated and in good condition, all things considered. What makes this a missing 411 case, you wonder? Well, the location where he was found was about a half mile from his home. Once his parents had realized that he was missing, a span of about 10 minutes, they immediately started searching for the boy. Once they were unable to locate him on their own, they called the local fire department for help. After a 30-minute search by the fire department turned up nothing, they contacted a search and rescue squad, the county sheriff, and the Kentucky State Police. The search and rescue teams and volunteers from the area and surrounding communities began with a half-mile search radius around the house, eventually extending that out to a mile. Four-wheeled, all-terrain vehicles, several helicopters, drones with thermal imaging cameras, and numerous canine teams were unsuccessful in picking up any trace of the missing toddler. His mother commented that it was like he just disappeared off the face of the earth. Now you tell me how it is 
that trained canine search and rescue dogs failed to pick up the scent of a toddler still in diapers. What's more, the search and rescue teams along with volunteers had canvassed that old strip mining operation already. Now I know those tiny tots are quick little things and can get away from you in a hurry, but how does a 22-month-old evade folks that search 300 acres with dogs, helicopters, drones with thermal imaging cameras, and ATVs? The embankment where he was eventually found was so steep and treacherous that they had to attach chains to the ATVs to help pull them up the hillside. Now, it's been my experience over the years when dealing with little ones that young, they tire out after a bit, and once they get the least bit hungry, thirsty, or tired, they get cranky and start fussing. They usually aren't known for foraging on steep mountainsides for days on end, evading detection or capture. Even the search and rescue folks can't explain it, except by saying it was a miracle they was found alive. After the first 24 hours, they had feared for the worst. It was highly unlikely that a 22-month-old out in those conditions alone would be found alive. And he was not in the least bit the worse for wear. One of the officials stated that he was floored by the boy's calm, cool, and collected attitude about the whole thing. A tough little guy for sure. Does that sound right to y'all? Reckon most 22-month-olds would behave like that? Also keep in mind that he wasn't dressed for being out in those conditions. He had been getting ready for bed and was in a shirt, sweatpants, and no shoes or socks. Sound like he would be hiking his little self through dense foliage and steep rocky terrain dressed like that? That he would be able to move that fast in 10 minutes time and not answer or cry out when he heard his parents, friends, neighbors, dogs, and search and rescue teams calling for him? This here is a genuine mystery as far as I'm concerned. And guess what? Little Kenneth's story is not unique. There are quite a few similar cases documented around the country. David Pilates has several documentaries and a YouTube channel where he discusses all his cases if you're interested. His first two movies, Missing 411 and Missing 411 The Hunted, are available for free online. In the first movie, the case of Dior Coons Jr. from 2015 is almost identical to Kenneth Howard's, with one exception. Little Dior was not as fortunate as Kenneth. Dior wasn't found by search and rescuers, but his remains were eventually found some time later, and in an area that had been searched several times when he first went missing. Also worth noting, David Politis does not offer an explanation for these cases. He just presents the facts as they're known. He only recently came forward with his thoughts and his theory on what could be happening in a new documentary, but I've not had a chance to watch it yet. And if you look into his background, you'll find out that he was a retired law enforcement officer and investigator, and a Bigfoot researcher now. And speaking of Bigfoot researchers, another group worthy of mention is the Kentucky Bigfoot Research Organization by Charlie Raymond. Quick note, I am not that Charlie Raymond and have no past or current affiliation with the Kentucky Bigfoot Research Organization. These two men, David and Charlie, are passionate about their areas of study, but even these dedicated researchers are considered to be grifters by their detractors. 
still trying to make a buck off the gullible public by selling books or tickets to lectures at conventions. And that does happen, no denying that, by both sides of the issue. There are just as many charlatans on the skeptical side selling their books and lectures to an equally gullible audience. I suppose we will always be plagued by folks looking to exploit any situation for their own personal fame and fortune instead of trying to pitch in and help. But I ask you again, what about the information that supports phenomena that can't be easily explained or debunked? Consider the case of UFOs, a cash cow for both serious researchers and skeptics. For years, detractors have gained notoriety and made a nice living for themselves debunking tales of UFO sightings. As a result, the topic has been dismissed as science fiction and fantasy. That is, until the leaked Navy jet video footage and Pentagon revelations validated that there are mysterious unexplained craft in the sky and under the waters of the oceans. Now humanity has to wrestle with the evidence and contemplate what it all means. I believe it's also important to point out real quick that some of the lore that we have served another purpose other than making a quick profit. Sometimes it was simply intended to scare curious people away from a hazardous location. A fictional tale about a ghost haunting an old dilapidated structure or a creature living under a dangerous railroad trestle in a mine shaft or cave were efforts by well-meaning folks intended to keep curious youngsters from wandering off and being hurt trapped, lost, or killed. Curiosity killed the cat, as the old saying goes. And there you have it. There are scam artists out there willing to say or do anything to make a fast dollar, and we have to be mindful of that when encountering extraordinary claims. But be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because something sounds too unbelievable to be true, don't mean that it ain't true. Real mysteries exist not always of an otherworldly or unexplainable nature, but there are some out there that just leave you scratching your head and wondering. Well, that's going to do it for this week, friends. Once again, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for being here and listening to my ramblings each week. As always, your company is appreciated. Have a great rest of the day, and we will see you back here again next week with another story. Y'all take care now. Bye-bye.